Are you tempted? Me too. I have a lesson for us this evening, a lesson entitled, When I Am Tempted. Our series this week is about practical Christian living. In Sunday school yesterday morning, we talked about how we need to do simple acts of kindness, how it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. During the worship hour yesterday morning, we talked about our desire that those who are dedicated servants of God want to want to do the will of God. Last night, we talked about how to live as God's servants. We must redeem the time. We must buy up the opportunity, the season that God gives us to live in. Tomorrow evening, we're going to talk about choosing good companions. And we'll close the series on Wednesday evening by talking about worry. What do you worry of? What are you worried about? Why we need to and how we must put our trust in our Heavenly Father. Temptation. In this area, I could use some help. A lot of help. Not how to get into it, but how to win over it. How about you? And I don't need philosophical help. I don't need someone to tell me that the devil is out to destroy me via sin. I don't need someone to tell me about the struggle of good and evil because I struggle with that every day. Being philosophical about temptation and about sin is like me going to the doctor and the doctor gives me a thorough examination. He looks at me right now and says, you're sick. Well, that's not why I went to the doctor. I need practical help. So I want to learn all that I can, and you want to learn all that you can about how to win over temptation. How do I do it? How do we do it? Good evening. And welcome to the service tonight. I appreciate so much your presence. It's so good to see each of you. So many of you are so dear to me, I could spend a long time talking about you and what you mean to my life, but since Derek took the first 30 minutes doing the announcements, I won't do that. I do want to quote a little poem just for Dwayne, though. He referenced during the meal tonight, there might be a danger of going to sleep tonight, and so I have a poem for him. It goes something like, uh, it goes something like this. Well, should I tell it, Derek? I don't know. Now I lay me down to sleep. The sermon's long, the subject's deep. If Dwight should quit before I wake, someone please give me a little shake. I hope you won't need one tonight. Temptation. Let's begin with a fact and with a question. The fact is this. I am tempted. Now, I'll be speaking in the first person a lot tonight, but you take it personal to you. The fact is that I am tempted. 
My mind is the battleground in my life. My flesh is where the battle is played out. Turn to Romans chapter 7. I can identify with what the Apostle Paul, he was a spiritual giant, I'm not, but I can identify with the struggle he was describing. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. And what I hate, that I do. In verse 19, he said, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, this I practice, that I practice. In verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then it's almost as if he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Folks, we know three things about temptation. We know that we are engaged in these battles of mind and flesh. We know that we are severely wounded at times. But we know that we must win this war. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. The father shall not bear the iniquity of the son. The son bear the iniquity of the father. The righteousness of the righteous is upon him. The wickedness of the wicked is upon him. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul referenced a woman living in pleasure, and he said she's dead while she lives. There are a lot of dead people walking around today, dead in trespasses and sins. We must win this war. And isn't it great that we're Christians? But have you noticed that the conflict did not end when we were redeemed? We are all tempted. Turn with me to James chapter 1 as James explains this to us. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I am tempted. And you're tempted. And that's a fact. The wise man said, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, There is not a just man on the earth who does not sin. Temptation. I have to deal with it. And you have to deal with it. That's the fact. And that fact then leads to the question, 
How do I resist temptation? Turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2, and notice with me verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There are two things of note that I would point out in this verse. First of all, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. How wonderful that we have a Savior, we need a Savior, and we have a Savior. We need counsel for the defense, and we have counsel for the defense. We need an advocate, a parakletos, a helper, and that helper is Jesus Christ the righteous. But the other point, and the one of note tonight, is this. This verse tells us that God does not want us to sin. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's an important point because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of Christians who have given in to the notion that sin is inevitable in their lives. Don't you believe that? No, I am not saying that we will be perfectly sinless. We know that's not going to happen. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm not saying that we are not going to sin. What I am saying is that we do not have to give in to temptation. That we can stop the pattern of, of returning and returning and returning to sin. And the fact that I am tempted does not mean that I have to sin. Paul exhorted, awake to righteousness and do not sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. Now folks, be turning to Romans 8 here. Folks, what we've got to do if we're going to overcome temptation is we're going to have to work on our mindset. On our mindset. And that's really important. And that's what this lesson is about. In the great eighth chapter of the book of Romans, beginning in verse 5, Paul said, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice his contrast between having a carnal mind and having a spiritual mind. If you and I are going to win over temptation, we've got to work on our mindset. And since we're talking about practical Christian living, 
let's get really practical about how to overcome temptation. When I am tempted, these are the practical things that I can do to win that battle. When I'm tempted, number one, I can remember that the devil can be resisted. Ever done a study of the devil? Well, I can name that character in two verses. Turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, notice verses 8 and 9. Peter exhorts, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now what does verse 8 tell us? Verse 8 tells us that the devil is evil. Verse 8 tells us that the devil is formidable. It tells us that he's a bad dude and he's out to get us. But what does verse 9 tell us? Verse 9 tells us that while he is powerful, he is not God. He is not all-powerful. If he were all-powerful, then you could not resist him. But you can resist him. And so I want us to camp right there for just a moment. Folks, we can resist the devil, i.e., we can resist temptation. James chapter 4, verse 7, James tells us, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How do you keep the devil out of your life? You don't let him in. If you want to keep him out, then don't let him in. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Don't let him in. We know that the devil has a lot of devices. But those devices are not secret. We know how the devil works. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, we're not ignorant of his devices. Folks, we're working on our mindset. When I am tempted, I can remember that the devil can be resisted. I can resist temptation. Working on her mindset. Number two, when I'm tempted, I can remember that I am created in the image of God. We are in God's likeness, Genesis 1, verse 26. What does that mean? Well, that means that I have intellect, I can reason. That means that I have will. I can make choices. 
That means that I have morality. I can reason, I can make choices, the right choices, and refuse the wrong choices. My nature, your nature as a human being, contrary to the teachings of Augustine and Calvin and others, my nature is not corrupt. God made man upright, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29. And so here is the bottom line. God's will is not beyond my ability to do it. Let me break it down. I can understand his will. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5, verse 17. Not only can I understand his will, but I can obey his commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. I can understand the will of God, and I can obey his commandments. And so the issue then becomes a matter of will. John chapter 7 and verse 17, If anyone wills to know his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. I am made in the likeness of God. I have intellect, I can reason. I have will, I can choose. I have morality, I can choose to do right. I can exert my will and refuse temptation. We are working on mindset. When I am tempted, I can remember that I am created in the image of God. Number three, very practical. When I'm tempted, I can recall scriptures that relate to the temptations that I am facing. That's what Jesus did, right? Matthew chapter 4. The devil came at him three different times. I am impressed with Matthew chapter 4. I am impressed with what Jesus did, and I am impressed with what I must do. The devil came at him three different times, and each time with the temptation, Jesus responded, It is written. Our Lord knew the Scriptures. But He also knew how to use the Scriptures. I think about Matthew chapter 4, and I think, you know, Dwight, if the Son of God needed the Scriptures to resist temptation, I need the Scriptures to resist temptation. And if the Son of God could use the Scriptures to be victorious over temptation, then I can use the Word of God to be victorious over temptation. What I have to do is I have to have a consciousness and I have to make a practical application of the Word. It's good to have the Word in our lap. It's better to have the Word between our ears. But folks, what we've got to do is we've got to have the Word in our heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 said, Your word have I hidden in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. Isn't that what Jesus did? And isn't that what we must do? The benefits of Bible study. You know, so many times we hear about things like Bible study and prayer and attending the services. They sound almost routine to us. I want you to think in the context of this lesson about winning over temptation about the benefit of Bible study. In the first place, Bible study eliminates ignorance. Ignorance will get you, right? It's not bliss. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 32. In the second place, Bible study gleans wisdom. And wisdom's what saves the day. Read Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 4. It gives instruction. It gives prudence. It gives discretion. In the third place, Bible study builds character. Now we're talking about spiritual strength, the strength to overcome, to resist temptation. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 talks about how solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Two key things. I can use my faith and I can use the Word of God to be victorious over the devil. In verse 16, he talks about the shield of faith. That's my defense. In verse 17, he talks about the sword of the Spirit. That's my offense. My faith and the Word of God. We're working on our mindset. When I am tempted, I can recall Scripture related to the temptation I am facing. Number four, when I'm tempted, I can reflect on what Jesus did for me. I can remember what Jesus did in the garden that night. How he surrendered his will. Oh, my Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Matthew 26 and verse 39. I can remember what he did on the cross. How he died for me. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. John 15 and verse 13. And I can think about the fact that if Jesus had the resolve to die for me, then I can have the resolve to live for him. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ. Folks, where is our resolve and our commitment more demonstrated 
than in the resistance of temptation. And where is our lack of resolve and commitment more demonstrated than when we yield to temptation? Draw the line in the sand. I'm not going to step across that line. I'm not going to give in. And when you do, overcome it by the blood of Christ and get back to that battle. I truly believe working on this mindset that if I will just reflect upon what Jesus did for me, I can overcome the temptation. Somebody said our minds are like a vacuum. They're going to have something in them, right? And when that bad stuff starts coming into our mind, we can crowd that out with the love of Jesus. One brother said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. And that's what we've got to do with temptation, with tempting thoughts, isn't it? We've got to scurry those birds away and not let them nest in our minds, in our lives. We're working on our mindset. Number five, when I am tempted, very important, very practical, I can reevaluate my pattern of life. So many times temptation comes because we are not circumspect. Now there's a word you use every day, right? In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Paul says the word that Paul used, our English word circumspect, acrobos, literally means to live carefully. Our dictionaries define circumspect as heedful of consequences. Now, let's bring this down to where we live. Temptation comes much easier when we are with the wrong people. Amen? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Proverbs 1, 15 and 16, My son, do not walk with them in the way. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil company corrupts good habits. Temptation comes easier to my life when I'm with the wrong people. Temptation comes easier to my life when I'm in the wrong places. Amen? That was David's problem. That's what happened to him. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at verses 1 and 2. You know about David's sordid affair with Bathsheba. You know how it started out? Yes, David's out walking on his rooftop and he sees a bathing beauty. There's danger in that. But what was David doing there? Verse 1 says it was the spring of the year, the time of the year when the kings were out with their armies in battle. David had sent his army out, but David had stayed in Jerusalem 
David was not where David was supposed to have been. If he had been, he wouldn't have been put in that temptable situation to start with. Temptation comes easier when we're in the wrong places. Temptation comes easier when we're looking at the wrong things. Amen? I'll illustrate with us brothers. I'm just being honest about it. In this day and time of immodest dress, we brothers had better learn to have bouncing eyes. You're walking down the aisle at Walmart, and you're just minding your own business, and you're going to pick up some item, and you look up, and there is some very attractive gal, and she's got on her daisy maze, and she's got her top cut down to here. Brother, let me tell you, you better have bouncing eyes. You go, whoa, and you bounce them over there. Did you know that's Bible? Look at Job 31 and verse 1. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes, but I wouldn't look on the daisy. It's not just in that area, but folks, there's a lot of areas we need to make some covenant with our eyes. Temptation comes easier when we're looking in the wrong places. Temptation comes easier when we're participating in the wrong things. Amen? I think of Brother Gus Nichols. When Brother Gus Nichols would say that God is long-suffering, he'd say God is (laughs) long-suffering. Well, let me borrow on that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. I've just said that temptation is easier when we're participating in the wrong things. Do you agree with that? Well, watch this. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Temptation comes easier when we're on the wrong road. Be careful of the road you're traveling. There's so much practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs, but I believe that my favorite statement in all of the book of Proverbs is in Proverbs 4, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. And pass on. Now, turn over a page and look at chapter 6. And let me ask you a question. We're talking practically about how to overcome temptation now. We need to reevaluate our own pattern of life. What happens when you play with fire? What's going to happen sooner or later? You're going to get burned, right? In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 7 and 27, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Continuation of point number 5. Are there things in my life that I need to change to break the pattern of temptation I am facing. 
Jesus told the disciples, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Matthew 26, verse 41. Now, why did he tell them that? He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. What did Joseph do? Genesis 39, verse 12. That young man, what did he do when Ms. Potiphar came calling? Well, the Bible says that he fled and he ran outside. What did Paul tell Timothy to do in reference to youthful lust? 2 Timothy 2 and 22. He said, flee youthful lust. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? He said, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Listen to some wise counsel. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision for the flesh. How many of you know who Dr. Phil is? A couple of years ago, Dr. Phil wrote a book about how to lose weight. I thought, okay, Dwight, you need to read that one. Number one bestseller, Dr. Phil, how to lose weight. And you know what his formula is? Don't have it in your house. If you don't have any food to eat, you won't eat it. Well, isn't that profound? I gave $20-something dollars for a book that said that, right? But what, really what he was saying is make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And that's biblical. Folks, a lot of our temptation struggle comes down to the fact that we have failed to break off associations and activities that give rise to our temptation. Y'all say amen when you can. <laughs> Let me give you one more. I know you're afraid there were ten of them. There are just six of them. Hang in there. When I am tempted, I can pray. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He prayed. You will not find a more intense struggle between flesh and spirit in the history of the world than in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. And the Bible says he fell on his face and he prayed. And the Bible says he went away and he prayed. And the Bible said and he went away again and he prayed. What did he teach us in the model prayer? Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You believe in the power of prayer? I don't. I believe in the power of God. And I believe that an all-powerful God answers prayer. God came to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm God Almighty. 
I'm El Shaddai. He's about to tell him, Sarah's going to have a son. How in the world is that possible? I'm Almighty God. I'm El Shaddai. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Please allow me to spend just a moment with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Please turn there. God will answer our prayers for deliverance from temptation. We have his word on that. Notice four promises concerning the temptations that we face in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. First of all, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. It's common to man. Number two, he said, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Number three, God will, with that temptation, make a way of escape. And four, you'll be able to bear. Those are great promises. We're working on our mindset. Let's review what we've talked about tonight. I can remember that the devil can be resisted. When I'm tempted, I can remember that I'm created in God's image. When I'm tempted, I can recall scripture related to the temptation I'm facing. When I am tempted, I can reflect upon what Jesus did for me. When I am tempted, I can reevaluate my pattern of life. And when I am tempted, I can pray. One final passage tonight. Would you please turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. Verses 16 through 18. Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome and he said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves or servants of righteousness. Folks, we are either the slaves of sin or we are the slaves of righteousness. We are either the servants of righteousness or we are the servants of sin. We can't be both. The question I would pose to you tonight is, at this moment, which are you? Paul tells us some important things here. He tells us that sin leads to death, and obedience leads to deliverance and righteousness. And notice how he frames this. He said, before you obeyed that form of doctrine, you were slaves of sin. But when you obeyed that form of doctrine, you became the slaves of righteousness. Question, what is that form of doctrine? 
or form of teaching. It's our baptism. How do I know that? Because he earlier defined it. What are the fundamental facts, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, what are the fundamental facts of the gospel? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Now look at that form of doctrine in the earlier part of the chapter. Verse 3, Romans 6. Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He goes on in the next few verses to talk about how we are raised from that spiritual death. To salvation and righteousness in Christ. There are a lot of people who are of the opinion that baptism is not essential to salvation. They have not read Romans chapter 6. Before we are baptized, we are the servants, the slaves of sin. But when we obey that form of doctrine, we become the slaves or servants of righteousness. Question, have you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine? Do it right now, won't you come?